It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. It's been a pretty devastating uh, few weeks for America, particularly for Texas and Florida with the hurricanes that flew through, and we bring on our guest right now. Uh, I'll call him a hurricane expert. His name is Taylor Scott. Hi, Taylor. How are you? Doing well. How about you? Uh, You're more of a radio expert. We're bringing you on as a radio uh, reporter journalist to talk about uh, Hurricanes Harvey and Hurricanes Irma. Real quick for our listeners, let's get to know you. Uh, Tell us about your radio career. Radio career? So I started out at uh, uh, 99.5 ZPL about nine Isn't years ago. Isn't it 99 and a half WZPL? Uh, you can say it however you want, I guess. But <laughs> I, I I would probably get in trouble if I said it wrong. Okay. Um, and then I went up to Marion, worked up there at a small station for uh, about a year, and then made my way back to Indy. So, yeah. All right, so uh, we're gonna. Br- we first of all, we welcome you to the show, and if Thank you don't you. mind, we'll bring you back on uh, occasionally yeah. to be a roving reporter. Oh yeah, happy for, to be here. Uh, public affairs across the country. Um, we're talking about the hurricanes. Uh, Houston uh, really affected with, uh, and still being affected with the flooding that went on, and power outages, and uh, people without food and water and shelter, and and then to back that up with possibly the the largest recorded hurricane of all time with Hurricane Irma uh, blasting through the Caribbean, really hitting the Florida Keys hard, moving up southwest Florida on up into Jacksonville. There's been some areas hit hard, and we wanted to, I guess, bring awareness for our listeners, um, talk about donations with the Red Cross. Uh, and what do you have? Do you have a little report there for us, too? Yeah. So uh, originally I found out that uh, Hurricane Irma was expected to cause about $150 billion in damage, but it's it's hard to look at the bright side that it slowed down so much, but it still was one of almost the top ten uh, storm that we've ever seen in as far as damage. Uh, right now, it's rec- reported that uh, Irma is uh, totaling about eighteen billion in uh, damage just in the U.S. But when you factor in uh, the Caribbean, it's about uh, twenty five billion. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's insane. It's unbelievable. Uh, and you've seen the images from Saint Martin. Um, Puerto Rico, San Juan, Puerto Rico hits so hard. I mean, th- some of those areas outside of tourism, there's, yeah. there's not a whole lot there. And when you when you talk about maybe a poor part of those countries, it's even worse. I, I've heard statistics of sixty um, percent of their residents are now homeless. That's and you know, here in America, we can watch cable news and see this big giant radar and see a storm coming to Florida. Um, and then the next day find out that the storm surge wasn't that bad. And then yeah. everybody goes to work and forgets about it. Yeah. And meanwhile, a few weeks later, there are still people on these tiny islands in the Caribbean that have lost everything. Everything, I mean, yeah. everything. It's really, it's tough to imagine what uh, those families are going through and, and what they're, where they're going to go. They're, they're locked on an island. Yeah. They're waterlocked. And uh, some of those islands are... You know, governed by countries out like England. Mm-hmm. So they're counting on the United Kingdom to fly supplies to them across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. 
Meanwhile, we've you know got the Red Cross that's helping Houston and Key West and Jacksonville, and it seems like we we are blessed as a country to have the kind of relief and the kind of citizens, I guess, that want to step up and help that relief um, coast to coast with any sort of natural disaster. So that's yeah. that's one w- way that America is certainly blessed. Um, did you have any uh, connection to either the Houston area or uh, Florida with well, these storms? Yeah, so. Uh Actually, my uncle lives in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, he he called us up a couple of days before the storm, and he was like, "I'm I'm staying here. I'm just boarding things up." And and I was thinking that's an awful idea. And my dad has a house down in Florida also, so uh, it, a lot of people. I mean, there's a lot of Indiana ties to Florida, but uh, there was a couple real close to me, so it was. That's your uncle, too. That Early on, they were saying that hurricane was going to go up the east coast of yeah. Florida. So he would have been right in the path. Yeah. Um, and then it, it turned and went up the west coast of Florida. Uh, I have family in the southwest Florida area uh, who was hit hard with Hurricane Charlie in 2004. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, you, if you're old enough to remember that, that hurricane, but it was pretty tough. I mean, southwest Florida got hit hard. And I have family that have... That have um, you know, retirement homes down in the southwest Florida area who had to rebuild. I mean, their places were just absolutely totaled after Hurricane Charlie uh, just 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so now, you know, the biggest storm of all time is going to blow right through again. Uh, But luckily, these properties were somehow saved. I mean, they were talking about storm surges of 10 to 15 feet. Imagine a 14-foot flood in your yard. Would that come into your house? Probably. It would probably come up to my um, second floor. <laughs> so uh, the fact that those 15-foot storm surges were only a foot uh, in in some pl- places, places of southwest Florida uh, has really been a lot of people lucked out. Now, I know uh, there's some people listening to this broadcast thinking, you know, we didn't all luck out because I know there's there was plenty of property destroyed, a lot of lives lost, uh, mm-hmm. especially the elderly. A lot of uh, retired elder, elderly folk in uh, in the southwest Florida area, in the Keys, uh, in the state of Florida, really, um, top to bottom. And a lot of those nursing homes were affected, power outages, uh, air conditioning out, sweltering yeah. heat. Yeah. I mean, there's it, it's a disaster area. So it's certainly not too late to give. Uh, and we encourage our listeners, everybody, post about it on Facebook, Twitter. The more aware, the more you remind somebody that you just gave ten bucks. Hey, your rich uncle might give a thousand bucks. So uh, we encourage you to do the ten dollar uh, route. Would be to text the word Red Cross to the number nine zero nine nine nine. Text Red Cross to nine zero nine nine nine, and that way you give a quick ten bucks right yeah. out of your checking account. Ten bucks goes to the Red Cross. Um, which has been certified as a, a it's a qualified charity um, by the I escaping my head right now but there's a there's actually a charity um, regulator organization that makes sure charities are legit. Mm-hmm. Red Cross is one of them. You can trust them with your money. The money will get to the people that need it. And I should say that when you text Red Cross, uh, your money will go to help victims in Houston and Florida for victims of Hurricane Harvey and Hur- Hurricane Irma. Uh, if if you want to be specific, you can text Harvey or Irma. So if you have family um, or grandparents in the Florida area and you want to donate ten dollars to the victims of Hurricane Irma, then text the word Irma to nine zero nine nine nine. Glad to hear your uncle's okay in Lauderdale. Yeah, uh, I'm glad to hear 
you know, everybody in my family made it through okay in Southwest Florida. We hope and pray that uh, your families, our listeners uh, in the Key West area or anybody in the Caribbean, from San Juan, Puerto Rico to St. Martin and beyond, we hope everybody made it through safe and sound. Taylor Scott with the Hurricane Report on The Adam Rich Show. We thank you uh, for coming on, Taylor. Thanks so much for having me. You can catch up with The Adam Ritz Show online. Podcasts of recent shows, including this one, can be found at adamritzshow.com. Like us on Facebook at Facebook slash Adam Ritz Show or follow at Adam Ritz on Twitter. And The Adam Ritz Show rolls on. We thank you so much for listening, and we do our best to bring you Interesting guests uh, with expertise on topics ranging from addiction to philanthropy to fatherhood. And that's the next topic I'd like to bring to you with our uh, special guest, Mike Hadorf. You are an expert in the field of fatherhood, aren't you? Well, I, Adam, I appreciate that. It's catching me off guard. I don't know about expert, but I do have some experience with fathers and sons. Before we get to your, um, you know, I don't know if, we, if it's your hobby, your business, your passion. Before we get to uh, what we want to talk about uh, with fatherhood, let's talk about you just being a dad. Uh, how many kids did you have? Do you have? My wife, Sandra, of 39 years, uh, she and I have four grown children, two in Oregon and two in Colorado. Okay. Two boys and two girls. Two, two, two of each. Perfect family. Um, and, and you mentioned Cal- Colorado, uh, which a lot of people call God's country. It's just beautiful. What part of Colorado are you in? We live in Fort Collins, Colorado. And yes, I've heard, I've heard that several times. God's country. Um, it is a marvelous place. And I met you um, while we were talking about something you do with fathers and sons. Uh, Tell our listeners about this uh, retreat, I guess I'll call it, uh, and how long have you been involved with it and uh, what it is? In 2005, I had the opportunity to take my oldest son, Joel, to a camp in the, um, the Tetons called Christ in the Tetons. And there's a whole backstory there, Adam, that I won't go into, but that... As Joel said later, he said, Dad, it was great spending a week with you in the Tetons, but it changed your life. And that is absolutely the case. What I saw, Adam, in the lives of the dads and sons that week, um, I, I just, I walked away, well, scratching my head, why are we not facilitating or creating these types of opportunities for dads and sons? And then uh, one morning, one of their board members at that camp got up and said, you know, we, we are, have prototyped this camp. At that time, Christ in the Tetons was probably one or two years into what they were doing. And they said, we would like to help other guys, other men elsewhere in the nation to create other types of camps like this where fathers and sons can go together. It's a Christian-based camp. And it's uh, based on the, uh, or it's uh, based on the idea of rites of passage for young men. And uh, I just thought, Lord, if I could be part of something like this, I'll give one piece of every day. Now, I wasn't looking for anything to do at that time. I'm a, a local businessman in Fort Collins, have plenty to do, but I, that, that vision captured me. And that was nine years ago. And so you took that upon yourself to uh, to get involved with that existing camp, or did you start a new one, yeah. or or what are we doing here with um, with the uh, with the fatherhood uh, camp retreat yeah. with your son? Yeah. Great, great, great question. So I came back to Fort Collins after that camp, 
And I started, you know, obviously, I mean, I was so moved by the whole thing. And we're able to talk to, you know, several of my friends and a group of guys in our 50s at that time, um, we, we signed a formal contractual arrangement with Christ and the Tetons. They, they gave us their information and we had a formal agreement. And we formed our own 501c3. And in 2007, we launched our first Christ in the Rockies based out of Rocky Mountain National Park near, uh, near Estes Park, Colorado. I, that is a beautiful park. Uh, I've been there with my daughters, as a matter of fact. The Stanley Hotel nearby. Uh -huh. yeah, and, and what is the, when you think of the Stanley Hotel, what do you think of? What movie do you think of? Well, you know, we've done uh, interviews at the Stanley in the uh, category of American history and education. And yes, The Shining. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yep. Yeah, it's a beautiful hotel. It's actually under restoration right now. So there's quite a bit, quite a bit of activity going on up there at um, this winter. So it's just a beautiful part of the country, uh, Estes Park and Rocky Mountain National Park. We're speaking with Mike Hadorf, who is, uh, can I call you the executive director? Executive or director. Okay, the executive director of uh, Christ in the Rockies. This is a, a father-son retreat, uh, a coming of age, uh, rites of passage uh, to really teach a young man, you know, how to be a man. It's about authentic manhood. It was, the idea was founded to a, a man who I deeply respect, Robert Lewis, who wrote a book several years ago, uh, years ago called Raising a Modern Day Knight. And that is really the genetics of Christ in the Rockies. Now, we've taken that data, and, and now I have grown and I have researched about uh, rites of passage, um, ritual in various cultures throughout history. And in America, we're the anomaly. You know, we just don't do that. And there's several reasons why uh, that we don't. But this is a Christian-based rites of passage for young men 15 years and older. Uh, and we hold it over a four-and-a-half-day camp in the Rocky Mountains. We do really fun outdoor adventure experiences. But that, that is really the backdrop or the framework where we'll, the, the real work occurs. We look at Jesus Christ as the model of authentic and noble manhood. We compare our default mode through a series of teachings in the evening. Um, default mode as men, we call it Adam 1, the first Adam, mm -hmm. and we compare Christ, the Christ example model, uh, or Adam 2, the second Adam. And so the series of teachings where we look at what our default, uh, default mode as men and what our culture is, is feeding into us, but yet we look at that, what our opportunity is to follow in the light of the second Adam as men. And so it's not so much about praying a prayer and then living life on cruise mode, but it's about being a follower of Jesus Christ and what it means, Adam, to be a noble, authentic man within the culture of which we live. And I'm sure uh, with that demographic of 15 or older, uh, it doesn't hurt to have a uh, a 10-mile hike or a 20-mile mountain bike ride through the Rocky Mountains to sort of grab his attention. Uh, not necessarily shiny object, hey, and now we're going to talk about God. Yeah. But it really, I mean, that, that's almost, I'm thinking when I was 15, it, I, I certainly would be a little more open to having that conversation with uh, elders and peers and my own father 
if I was in that setting. Yes, that's exactly right. And again, I think you've hit the nail right on the head that, you know, we have a beautiful backyard yeah. <laughs> in Colorado and it is, it has a draw. There is no question about it. And, and historically and culturally, when rites of passage occurred, it was always the elders of the community taking their young males out into the woods, out into the wilderness, whatever that context was. And so it's a natural that we, we utilize that backyard in Colorado for such a venue as this and such an opportunity. There's just something about guys being out in the out of doors, breathing fresh air, seeing new and interesting and, and beautiful aspects of creation and doing things together. But again, Adam, it is, it's the backdrop of the real work of the father and son relationship and what it means to be an authentic man. We're speaking with Mike Hadorf, and we're talking about uh, father-son and this um, this Rocky Mountain retreat that is just so fantastic. And I have daughters. I, I'd go if I, I maybe I'll go adopt a son and meet you out there this <laughs> summer. Uh, but I have to believe that in that setting, um, there's some powerful stories. And I'll put you on the spot here. You're not going to be put on the spot because you've yeah. probably got a thousand stories. But give me a story or two or three, a success story of a man and his son who had some sort of breakthrough, tears were involved, powerful display of affection, uh, especially if it came from a dad or, and or a son that didn't even uh, know that that was going to happen. Well, you're right, Adam. I have several stories, and I'll tell you the first story. This, this One of the stories at Christ in the Tetons that... Uh, dramatically affected me. There, there were dads and sons from all over, all ages. In this case, this man was probably in his early 70s, and he had, uh, and he he spoke with a with a Scottish brogue, and um, he his son, uh, about 42 at the time, is Ian, and within the context of Christ and the Tetons and, and then later Christ in the Rockies, we have an opportunity for each dad to bless their sons publicly. And we do this at mealtime. So every dad has a turn. And so this was the, um, the evening that this man got up. And I, unfortunately, I can't remember his name. But he, he faced the crowd and he, entered, he had his hand over his son's right shoulder and he says, gentlemen, I want you to meet my son, Ian, introduce you to Ian. And he says, I'm going to bless Ian in front of you this evening. But before I do, son, I have some things I want to say to you. And so he looked, then turned and touched Ian's both shoulders. And they were looking now face to face mm -hmm. and looking into his eyes. He said, son, you know that 25 years ago, your mother and I were divorced and you know how I have spoken about your mother, derogatory, you know, implied, negative, over the last 25 years. And I've blamed her. And so I, I want you to know that over the course of the last few years, I've just realized how wrong I was and how I've used that as a crutch in my own life. And I need to, at this point, take ownership of that divorce. And I'm asking you, son, to forgive me for how I've spoken about your mother. That is amazing. That is amazing. And I just sat there with my, I can remember the peas on my fork 
as I was about wide, you know, my, my mouth wide open, just saying, this is so real. This is so good. This is so authentic. And so powerful yeah. uh, from a 70-plus-year-old man who, uh, yeah. you know, some could argue the older a man gets, the more codger, codger-esque yeah. he yeah. gets and, and is less willing to admit his faults. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, would, I would have taken that same position. But I have noticed, Adam, I've noticed this now, being nine years into it, that there's something that there's something that occurs in a man's life. If he feels he's, that his son is pulling away, there is something in a father's life that, that wants to reel that son in. And sometimes it takes till 75 years old. Sometimes it takes that man getting to a place of brokenness in his own life where he can even talk at that level. All right, and it's ChristInTheRockies.org. Could not be simpler. So we'll see you online and we'll see you on the mountain. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. And thank you, Adam, for this time together. It's been very enjoyable. Hey, this is Jeff Saturday. You're listening to The Adam Rich Show. More expert testimony from an administrator with an enormous amount of experience. We love bringing head coaches onto this radio program to talk about social awareness issues, and today we're blessed to have Coach Everett Withers, the head coach of James Madison University Football Division I College in uh, Virginia. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Doing well. You got a big smile on your face. This is uh, really just a new journey for you. You've you've been coaching for years. I first met you when you coached at North Carolina, the Tar Heels. Uh, You've moved on to Ohio State, and now this is your program. You're the head coach at JMU. Uh, How's it feel? Explain that smile on your face. Well, it's uh, it's been a journey. Uh, Got here in in January, but uh, the kids have grown. Boy, we've we've taken a a bunch of kids that uh, we said we wanted to build a new culture with, and they uh, they bought in, and we're having a lot of fun right now okay so uh, the head coach obviously you know a lot about football and uh, we're not ESPN we're not here to talk to you about football although I might squeeze a little uh, third down play out of you later <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about you know these social awareness issues you've got young men on your team character is an issue I know you recruit for character uh, academics is a big part of it uh, integrity making good choices uh, how do those topics I guess uh, come out of uh, your desk and your office here at the uh, athletic complex? Well, I think, first of all, Adam, you've got to have a culture in place. Uh, and, and we have some core values in our culture that, that really mean a lot to us. Uh, honesty, uh, treat women with respect, no stealing, no drugs, no weapons. That's our five core values. And, and we talk about that all the time with our players. Uh, we try to preach that to them every day. And what we talk about as far as academic, social issues, athletic issues, whatever it is, but no those are the five things that we really uh, uh, strive to, to really preach to our players. And uh, it's important when we go recruit that we go get that out of the kids that we recruit. You played college football, and uh, I don't want to give away your age, but it wasn't exactly yesterday. <laughs> I'm going to guess that um, when you played, compared to an 18-year-old freshman today, it, it's about – I mean, I know social media has changed it a lot, but it's the temptations are about the same. I mean – the women, the booze, it's the character possibility of having character issues. Have you seen a big change or is it about the same? Well, I think the the, the character issues and the social issues are, have changed in some ways, but in a lot of ways they've stayed the same. What's, what's out there now is the ability for it to be go, to go viral. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what's important now is understanding that it doesn't take but one uh, uh, cell phone picture, uh, one tweet, one Instagram, in, in, for it to be out there viral now. And that's what it is today is, is it's 
readily available now, whereas back then when I played, it wasn't. Now, I talk about that all the time, about how uh, social media is, is actually broadcast media. It is viral. It's broadcast to the world. But the way you just said that, a light bulb just went off in my head. It almost makes your job easier to recruit character because now the guy, the bad apple, is more, he's, more tra- he's more evident. He's out there because he's doing bad stuff on the Internet, and you can see him more easily than you could 10 years ago. No, is, that, is that true? No question. We're, uh, anytime we're recruiting a young man, what our staff does is we want to find out about his Twitter, his Facebook, his Instagram. We try to, you know, try to get all behind uh, the scenes of everything that he's doing in his life. And usually a guy has a Twitter account, a Facebook account. He's on Instagram. So our coaches follow that. And uh, we can kind of tell whether we have – whether we're recruiting a guy with character or not uh, by what he puts out there, what he tweets out mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, it is easier for us now to do that with recruits, but it's also easier for us to do that with our players on our team now. We can follow their Twitter account. So, uh, you know, it, it – it sounds like invasion, but it's not. We're really trying to uh, make sure that we're mentoring kids and helping them grow and not make mistakes. So it, uh, it, it allows us to do some things we need to do in recruiting and in mentoring kids. Coach Withers is our guest from James Madison University, head coach of the football team, and you just mentioned mentoring kids. Uh, I love to ask coaches uh, who your mentors are. Well, I've had I've had a few. Uh, I've had, I had two high school coaches that are still pretty pretty important to me in my life. Uh, a guy named Bruce Harden, who uh, still uh, still is a high school coach in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, a guy named Rudy Abrams, uh, who was my high school coach my my uh, sophomore year in high school. Uh, two pretty big mentors. Uh, you know, those, those are guys. A guy named Mac Brown. Uh, who yeah. uh, was my uh, college coach, and I worked for him at the University of Texas. We talk a lot, and uh, he's a guy I look up to, a guy I, you know, I bounce things off the wall with a lot because I really trust him. And then obviously, uh, both of my parents are deceased, but I, without them, uh, mm-hmm. there's there's no way that I could be any closer to where I am right now. So that's a little college football history for you. We knew uh, Mac Brown coached at North Carolina, right. uh, and then on to Texas. I was not aware that he coached at Appalachian State, and that's where you played college football. Mac Brown was the coach there? Mac Brown, his first head coaching job, I think Mac might have been 32 years old. Uh, his first head coaching job was at Appalachian State in 1983, and uh, I was a, a member of that football team and saw this young, bright, uh, energetic guy come in and take this job and really change the program, and uh, that's when I first started to want to be a, be a football coach. That is just amazing to, in my head, my little small brain, when you can, like with lightning speed, you can draw the flow chart and see how a young Everett Withers at age 18 in Boone, North Carolina at Appalachian State University playing for a young no-name coach named Mac Brown, three or four decades later, how that train weaved through Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Austin, Texas, and now here you are in Virginia with your own head coaching job. That is just awesome to hear. And you know what? It's great, it's great for, for me and my, our listeners to realize you never know the relationships you make at some point in your life, how they're going to turn around and, and help you down the road. So don't be a jerk.
be a good guy like Coach Withers. No question. Uh, <laughs> treat people with respect. And I think that's uh, that's part of this whole thing. And in, in, in whatever we do, whatever profession we're in, whatever job you do, just treat people with respect because you never know who you're going to see, you know, yeah. on the way down while you're going on the way up, on too, way up. also. That is so cool to hear. Uh, before I let you go, uh, we love to get your perspective, head coaches. You're the ultimate father. You're a father to these 85 guys on this James Madison University football team. And you've got your own kids, too. So right. we like to talk about fatherhood, how important that is uh, here in America. Um, I'm a young father, or, or I'm a young guy that doesn't have kids yet. What, what's your advice to me on uh, the topic of fatherhood? Uh, be honest. Uh, you know, teach your kids about respect, uh, about respecting elders, uh, about respecting people in general, no matter what uh, nationality, what geographical background, whatever it is, just teaching kids about respect. Uh, I think that's really important. Uh, teaching kids how to compete uh, and how to compete in life. Uh, not just athletics, but in life, and uh, compete fairly, but compete really hard. And I think once you you teach your kids how to compete and compete fairly in life and athletics, whatever it is, then then you usually stay on the right track. So I, I really believe that. Did you uh, coach your kids in any sports, or you, you were too busy, obviously, with your job as a coach? But uh, did did their co their little league coaches like, hey, we got to get Withers over here and get some secret plays? <laughs> Well, yeah, my daughter, my daughter played soccer. I tried to stay out of soccer. I didn't know enough about it. Uh, uh, she's now at the at the University of Alabama, so uh, she's not playing soccer, but she's going to school there. My son is in at Spotswood High School here in uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia, and uh, I have not coached any of his teams. I've tried to stay away from it. He does not want his dad to be be his coach, and I, you know, and I get that. I understand that, and, and I try to stay away. But I am a a big supporter of of whatever team he's on. All right. He's a great father. He's a great coach. He's Everett Withers. Uh, I can't thank you enough for your time and for uh, hosting me on campus here. Beautiful campus. If anybody listening is trying to figure out where to send your kid or get an application, James Madison University. This place is gorgeous. We want to wish you uh, the best of luck here this season. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate your help. Thank you. Thanks again to all my guests, uh, Boston College, Mike Hadorf, and Coach Everett Withers. Join me on Facebook at slash Adam Ritz Show, or you can tweet me anytime at Adam Ritz. See you next time. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.